When a young woman is mysteriously murdered, the only clue the police have is the contents of her stomach. Then we take a look at a bizarre tale of UFO abduction, which makes us ask the question, are serial killers in league with aliens from another world? Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. I hope you are having fun living out your life, achieving your dreams. Speaking of dreaming, in comes one of, here comes the dreamiest Patreon supporter ever. Walking into Dead Rabbit Command, one of our newest Patreon supporters, it's Theo Seibold. Everyone give a round of applause to Theo Seibold walking on in. Theo, you're going to be our captain. I have a poster of Theo up on the wall. It's such a dreamboat. Theo, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the Patreon, that's fine too. Just help spread the word about the show. Really, really helps out a lot. When you promote the show, the show grows. It's as simple as that. Theo, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys to the Jason Jalopy. We are leaving behind Dead Rabbit Command. We are headed all the way out to Illinois. (laughs) Theo's driving this Jason Jalopy. The top is down. We are roaming across the highways and byways of the United States. Specifically, we're headed to Northern Illinois University. It's October 2nd, 1970. And as we're pulling up in front of this university, I want to give a shout out to Live Rabbit Fur. That's the person who turned me on to this story. I never heard this story before until I saw a post by Live Rabbit first, so thank you very much for sending this story my way. It's October 2nd, 1970. And there's a young woman named Donna Dahl. And she's like, bye guys! She's walking out of her classroom, she's walking across campus, and they're like, hey Donna, see you later for the sock hop or whatever in the world people were doing in 1970. Sure, surely it'll be the bee's knees, Donna says as she continues her journey, leaving school. Now, that's fine, people, (laughs) students are allowed to leave their classes, we don't live in a fascist dictatorship, yet. But, she leaves, what, that's not, that's not abnormal, what's abnormal is her not coming back. She doesn't come back to her dorm. Her roommates miss her. She had some plans with her friends. She doesn't show up for those plans. And when she's not showing up to class the next day, people are getting really, really worried about her. So they start looking for her. They can't find her. They alert the authorities. Authorities start looking for her. She becomes an official missing person. Donna Dahl, 21 years old. Now, at that age, the police know maybe she had a boyfriend and she skipped town and she's on some trip. Maybe she's cheating on her boyfriend and she skipped town with this new boyfriend. So at a certain age, the police do look into the missing person's case, but they have to think it's a college-age girl. She might be off finding herself. But nine days later, that turned out not to be the case because nine days later, they find her about a mile away from the college. There's a cornfield. This is the spookiest place, right? Apparently a guy and these two girls were walking through this cornfield Look how far I can go in. And they're going into the cornfield and he sees the body of a dead woman in the cornfield. And he tells the two girls, don't look. Super spooky. And they go, they get the authorities. Authorities show up. And sure enough, it is the body of Donna Dahl. Now, she was wearing, she was leaving school. So she had on like a trench coat. She had on shoes, obviously. She had her purse. All of that stuff was gone. She still was partially clothed, but her trench coat, her shoes, and her purse were gone, and they have never been recovered to this day. 
And I guess I should jump to the gun. I, I guess I should jump to the ending, too. Her murderer has never been found, either. To this day, this is an unsolved mystery. But the reason why I'm jumping to the gun, because the fact that this is an unsolved murder case isn't why I'm covering it on this show. There are some other details that make it, that, that elevate it to just average true crime. I know there's probably, like, family members listening to this podcast. They're like, my daughter, my daughter, why are you saying this was out? You know what I mean? Like, on a scale of... Like, Ted Bundy being the lamest, and then the episode we did about the demonically possessed guy in Britain who ripped the poodle in half with his bare hands. Like, that's a 10. That's a 10, right? Chopped his wife up with a butcher knife and then ripped their dog in half with his bare hands. That's a 10. Ted Bundy, lame-o. On the scale of ripping your dog apart, being a 10, and Ted Bundy being a 1. Super normie. Serial killer nonsense. It's just lame. I hate the Ted Bunny story. It's super boring. I'd rate this a little bit above that. Woman goes missing. We don't know who did it. The reason why I think this is more interesting than the Ted Bundy thing is, one, we never found out who did it. And serial killers you get caught are lame. You're, You're lame. You have one job. Not to get caught. This guy wasn't caught. This guy... I'm not saying... Okay, let me back. Now it sounds like I'm saying this guy's some sort of winner. I'm like, well, this guy's way better. He's better than Ted Bundy, but he's he's less good than any other person on the planet. The guy who killed Donna Dahl has never been caught, but I'm not even covering this story because it's an unsolved mystery. There's a part of this story that is so bizarre that internet sleuths are going crazy over this. Like, I read a lot of true crime stuff, and I later read a lot of true crime stuff online, and there's always the armchair detectives. I do it too, right? I've done it on this show, trying to solve a case. But I've never seen people say such dumb things over and over and over. If one person had said a dumb thing, that'd be one thing. We would, we would just all laugh at that person. But I, I can't believe how much people... Uh, they're so bizarre how they seem to... Be so puzzled, but now I'm puzzled by this as well. But I don't really. I I'm puzzled enough, and I know the limits of my own deductive skills that I don't even. I don't even put on a conspiracy cap. I have no idea how this is possible. None. So let me tell you what I'm talking about. When they found Donna Dahl's body, there was two unique things about it. One, they could tell that she'd been suffocated, but usually when you're suffocating someone with like a pillow or a sweater. They will inhale the fabric from the sweater. So hopefully it's not wool, right? Super itchy wool. You're all, <laughs> it's all itching your throat. You're like, oh man, how come you couldn't suffocate me with satin? If you hold a pillow down on someone's head or wrap a sweater around their face or whatever, they'll inhale the fabric. She'll find a milk. They didn't find any of that in her lungs, in her airways. They found what... This is an interesting thing. They found a, quote, mysterious substance. And sometimes you'll see, because I read a couple articles on this, sometimes they'll just leave it to that mysterious substance. And then there are other articles that, because that makes you think, oh, was was Glip Glorp, the space alien, uh, smothering her? No, the mysterious substance, they didn't know how to identify at the time. They believe it was plastic. They believe that she was suffocated with a plastic bag. But at the time... I, I don't know if these detectives didn't know what plastic looked like under a microscope, but that's an interesting, interesting tidbit because what's going to happen is over, this story is already like, what, 40 years old, but over time, there'll be less and less articles naming it as plastic, and you'll see more and more articles mentioning the mysterious substance, and you'll see conspiracy, people are talking about all sorts of uh, Russian interference in this story, that this mysterious substance was some sort of toxin, 
Well, that's because the article you read didn't give it context. The mysterious substance we know now is plastic. And the reason why they think the Soviets may have been involved was she was studying to be a teacher. And her specialty was she was learning Russian. So some people thought maybe the Russians poisoned her with a quote-unquote mysterious substance. She was suffocated with a plastic bag or a plastic fabric of some sort. But even that's not the reason why we're covering this on Dead Rabbit Radio. That I, we can kind of explain. No article, not a single article was able to put forth how this, why this is, or how it's possible. When you eat something, if you die within about 12 hours, you haven't digested it properly. So that's how they can tell, like, you know, what the last thing you ate was. They can't tell, if you ate in the morning and then you died two days later and you hadn't eaten anything. You're in an Arby's and you're like, uh, uh, uh. I'd rather sit here and die than have an Arby's roast beef sandwich. They wouldn't be able to tell what you ate two or three days ago, but they can, that, that helps them estimate the time of death. That's one of the things. If there's food in your stomach, they can go, well, they've died at least within the past 12 hours because this food is undigested. They found this young woman, Donna Dahl, with potatoes in her stomach. Five to six pounds. You know that they weighed this. You know that they had to have weighed this. She had that, that was that's you got the intern to do that. You're like, get that, get out that ice cream scoop and start scooping out that tummy. Five to six pounds of potatoes in her stomach. Somehow, Donna Dahl ate five to six pounds. Let's just say six pounds, because I don't want to cap to use that. She ate six pounds of potatoes within 12 hour period. Now, I know what you're thinking. You could do that, right? And you're like, Jason, I totally wasn't thinking that. I'm as puzzled as you are. I could probably eat two pounds of french fries. Actually, I'm not going to add a probably on that. I know I can eat two pounds of french fries because I can easily eat two pounds of mashed potatoes in a day, in a meal. (laughs) In one meal, I can eat two pounds of mashed potatoes, and I have. But five pounds of potatoes... They found in her stomach, and they don't know if this is a clue. They don't know if this is an eating disorder. They don't know if this is the way she died. I have no idea. They just know that one of the clues is she has six pounds, or she had six pounds of potatoes in her stomach that she had eaten no more than 12 hours before she died. So now, now it's a mystery. I mean, technically, to the friends and family of Donna Dahl, her her death and it not being solved is the mystery. And that is a tragic, that is a tragic thing. But unfortunately, we cover stuff like that all the time on the show. I don't think I've ever come across, I can, I can guarantee you, in what, 740 episodes, we've never had someone who had six pounds of potatoes in their stomach when they died. That's a mystery. And we don't know how or why they got there. Now, you would assume she had to eat them. And what's funny is that when you say... She had six pounds of potatoes in her stomach. What did you picture? The remaining listeners. The remaining listeners who weren't eating potato au gratin. They're like, oh, this episode will be great to eat my grandma's favorite recipe. You imagine five or six pounds of floating Idaho potatoes in her stomach, right? Do you, when, and I think that's part of the problem is why it's such an evocative image. If somebody said, hey, what do you have there? In that bag, and someone goes, "Oh, I have six pounds of potatoes." You would, you would know that they were six pounds of potatoes, because that's what they're called. If they were French fries, you would say that. If they were mashed potatoes, they would say that. 
their tater tots, you would say that. I have six pounds of tater tots in this bag. So when somebody, when you picture six pounds of potatoes in a human body, and this woman was very slight. She was like maybe like 120 pounds or something like that. She was a very, very slim woman. To have six pounds of potatoes in you, just potatoes floating around in you, it, the visual doesn't make sense. But we understand that there's no way that she crammed six pounds of potatoes down her throat. She obviously ate them. So once you start to think of that visual, it starts to make a little more sense. But even then, how did she eat six pounds of potatoes in 12 hours? Like, could you do that? Could you eat 12 pounds of potatoes? And they're not listed as being french fries. Maybe they're all mushed up. Potatoes. Fried potatoes, maybe. I don't know why I'm so fixated on how the potatoes were prepared. Because the doctors, the doctors didn't break out the recipe book. And they're matching it to, they're like going through the cookbook. They're like, it kind of looks like that, but based on the consistency and the flavor, this does not taste like hash browns. Let's look, keep looking. I don't think they were worried about the recipe. The point is, how did she get six pounds of potatoes in her? And let's go back to these internet sleuths. I've never seen anything this ridiculous. I read this and I go, what an interesting mystery. Woman, dead, never found the killer, six pounds of potatoes in her. That's interesting. I'll probably cover it on the topic or maybe do a TikTok on it because it's fairly short. And then I started reading the comments here. And um, there was a user who went by the name Anonymous. They just posted this. This is a break. Like this story is just, it's old, but it's just gaining traction again because it's popping up online. There was a user who went by the name Anonymous said this was their theory. Pregnant women get a thing called pika. Some of them do where they eat weird things. Some women eat brick dust. It's basically because your body's telling you it's short of mineral that it needs for the baby to be born. And some people have pika all the time. But they're thinking maybe she was just nibbling on potatoes and she was pregnant. That's possible. And then Anonymous weaves this web that her boyfriend found out she was pregnant because she was eating potatoes all the time. So her boyfriend, who didn't want the baby, murdered her and dropped her off in the cornfield. What? I mean, I get if I was hanging out with if I had a girlfriend and I'm hanging out with her and I come home and she's nibbling on a potato, I'm not going to think she's pregnant. I'm going to think she's a big old weirdo, but I'm not going to think she's pregnant. Also, I'm going to wonder where my French fries are. Man, I was saving those potatoes for later. If I saw a woman eat six pounds of potatoes in front of me, I'd take her to the circus. I'd take her to Ripley's, believe it or not. Have her sign up for the freak show and make some money. I don't think I would go, ah, she must be pregnant. She must be having a baby. But, you know, a theory nonetheless. There is another user named Dirt Pink. And this was their idea. Eating disorder. A couple people said this, that she had an eating disorder and she was binging on potatoes. But she didn't have a place to purge because she was in a college dorm and college dorms have really thin walls and she had eaten all these potatoes and now she's in the purge faction. Now she's in the purge phase where she has to throw up. She goes to the bathroom. She tries throwing up and if someone hears her and she doesn't want anyone to know her secret, even though, even though they just noticed throughout the day, she ate six pounds of potatoes. So she leaves school Bye, I'll be at that party later. I'll be at that party later. And she runs a mile to the cornfield and begins to purge up these potatoes in private and then suffocates on the potatoes that she's throwing up. Now, this is clearly someone, this is clearly someone who did not read the article. This is what I talk about when people just read the headline of these things. Because let's say all that's true. Where where's her trench coat, her shoe, and her purse? 
did she throw up so much potatoes it created like a little actually if she's throwing up the potatoes how did they find the six pounds of potatoes in her so dirt pink terrible terrible suggestion we have goif ascetic who thinks it might have been hazing a college hazing eat the potatoes eat the potatoes it's the potassium cult it's alpha beta potassium everyone's favorite fraternity and then we get into saw level ones things that jigsaw would be like ah that's that's a little unbelievable even for me deputy dog states that maybe maybe picture this you come home if you come home and you're expected to have a delicious baked potato, it's what you have every night. You have a single baked potato for dinner. It's delicious. Sour cream and butter. And, and we just keep putting stuff on it until it tastes good. You come home, some of your potatoes are missing. You only have so many potatoes for the month. And your roommate, Donna, she has potato skins. She has potato skins all around her feet. And you're like, dude, where are my potatoes? And she's like, I don't know. These potato skins were here when I got here. And you are so enraged at Donna for get- this is actually what this is actually what a living, breathing human being believes may have happened. You are so enraged at someone for eating your potatoes that you still have <laughs> you still have six pounds of potatoes. By the way, they didn't eat all your potatoes. You're so mad at Donna for eating your potatoes. That you force feed her the remaining, you're like, you know what, you like eating my food? Eat all my food, eat it all. And your roommate's like, okay, I'll totally do that. She force feeds her the other six pounds of the potatoes. And she chokes on the potatoes, she suffocates on the potatoes and dies. And then this roommate transports the body all the way to the cornfield, drops it off, and leaves and takes her purse and her trench coat and, and is able to hide that material for the longest time. That is a suggestion. These people are losing their mind. That, that, that just makes no sense at all. It's so weird. All of these hypotheses that are coming out about this. That's what actually makes it interesting. It's really sad because Donna Dahl is such a... When you type in Donna Dahl, you'll find nothing about this person. You Imagine this. Imagine you died. This is horrible. As I laugh, imagine you died. Imagine you died because you mistakenly drank a bunch of castor oil instead of Diet Pepsi. You drink it all and you poop yourself to death. But your name is John Smith. You have a pretty standard name. So 40 years later, if anyone ever wants to find out information about you, they just can't put in your name. They have to put in John Smith pooped himself to death. And then you get a couple articles. With Donna Doll, it's like that. If you type in Donna Doll, you'll get nothing. You'll get photos of dolls named Donna or Donna's Doll Shop or whatever. You have to type in Donna Doll, <laughs> Donna Doll Potatoes. She's linked forever to what was in her stomach. And then you'll get a couple links. Like I said, this story is old, but it's starting to gain traction. The first three links are like within the past couple days. But you have to put in Donna Doll Potatoes. Imagine if if anyone ever wanted to find you in the future, it would have to do with the massive amount of food that they found in you when you died. Jason Carpenter, Double Decker Tacos. Be like, oh, that's kind of that's bad. But I did deserve it because I did eat 30 pounds of Double Decker Tacos. We are leaving behind Illinois. Theo, fire up this carpenter copter. We are headed all the way out to Bibi Duruo in Brazil. It's May 3rd, 1969. We're in Bibi Duruo, 
That's in Matsozinos in Brazil. It's 3 p.m. It's a beautiful sunny day. It's a perfect day to go fishing. Jose Antonio da Silva is doing just that. He puts up his tent, kicks back, looks at the stars, and goes, What a wonderful day to go. I waited a little late. It's nighttime. But tomorrow, I will start my fishing expedition. And he does. He's fishing, and everything is absolutely perfect. He's on vacation. He's a soldier in the Brazilian army. But they get a little R&R every now and then, and and this is how he spends his relaxing time. He hears something in the bushes behind him. He's thinking squirrel or goat or something's just moving around in the bushes. He's not really worried about it. Until he hears the whispering. Now, you don't have to be a zoologist to know that animals don't whisper. And he was not a zoologist, so that is perfect. He turns around to see what it is. And as he's turning, he is blasted with a beam of light. Completely paralyzed. He's Right then his fishing pole starts going crazy. It was the biggest fish ever, I swear. I almost caught it. He sees come out of the bushes two humanoids. They're both fully encased in this bizarre spacesuit. It covers every inch of skin on them. So he can't make out any facial features. He can't make out their skin tone or anything like that. It's this gray suit, and they have this domed helmet on. Almost like they're wearing like a bullet helmet. And they begin walking out of the bushes. He's frozen. He can't react to this. They literally just each grab a sight of him, lift him up, and drag him towards their spaceship. It's this cylinder landing craft that's sitting there in this meadow. He's brought on board and he realizes he's in this room. This is very common in UFO lore, UFOlogy. He's in a room that's brightly lit, but he there's no source of the light. It seems to just be coming from everywhere. They make him sit down in a chair in the middle of this room. And they put a helmet on him. They put one of these dome helmets on him. And he says it is very, very uncomfortable. It's actually really heavy. It's hurting his neck and his shoulders how heavy this thing is. And the cylinder, he can tell, begins to lift off. He's leaving Earth. Whether it's atmospheric, whether it's the helmet, it's unclear. But he is having a hard time breathing. The lights of the room, even with the helmet on, are incredibly bright. A super uncomfortable space flight. And again, the helmet, like whenever he... He's no longer paralyzed. Whenever he moves, he can feel the helmet kind of dig into his skin. It was not designed for a human. But he is required to have it on. The vehicle lands somewhere. And he is ushered into another room. And they take his helmet off. Then they take their own helmets off. He can now see what these humans are. I mean, they look exactly like humans. They have a few different features. They're four feet tall. They have red hair that reaches down to their waist. So in their toned helmet, they had to stuff all that hair. They had big green eyes. He drew pictures of them. And one of the pictures, it looked like it was nothing but green. But when I was reading a description in one of these articles, they said they had dark black pupils. So I'm not for sure 
which one is accurate, his drawing or the article, but either way, they had unnaturally large green eyes. They had pointed noses and a wide mouth, a mouth wider than a human. He said it reminded him of a fish's mouth, and they had no teeth either. They all had white skin, and they just kind of stood around him. One of these people stepped forward, and again, this is very common in UFOlogy, he immediately recognizes this one as the leader. And there's this white slab in this room that the leader begins drawing images on. Jose realizes that this is how they plan on communicating with him. They're going to draw sigil. They're going to draw pictures, and that is how they're going to talk to him. There is no language that they're speaking to him, and there's no telepathy, which that is something that does happen on a lot of UFO stories, more than I can even count. They're not able to speak to him telepathically. They can't speak to him vocally, but they're drawing pictures, and that is how they're going to communicate with him. But as he's looking at these pictures, he can't really make sense of them. When he is taken on board, he had like a satchel on him. And these aliens have taken the satchel off him and begin rummaging through it. And anything that there is a duplicate of, they are keeping. So he has two fish hooks, two different types of knives. They're taking the second item, but leaving him the original. The one thing that he only has one copy of that they keep is his ID card. They're fascinated by his ID. And while they're doing this, he's kind of taken in the room. He's kind of looking around the room. The leader is still drawing on this whiteboard. And he sees this motif on one wall, and it's pictures of animals. Jaguars and owls and foxes and sees animals drawn on this wall. And then also on the wall is modern technology, cities and cars and houses and things like that. And underneath these painted images on this wall are four human bodies. Not drawings of human bodies. Four dead people. All male. Three Caucasian, one black. Jose's looking at these bodies and he gets a weird sense about them. I mean, other than the fact that he's been abducted and surrounded by a bunch of dwarves. He feels... He doesn't know how he comes across... He doesn't know how he figures this out, but he feels these four men were not killed by the aliens. The leader's continuing to draw on this whiteboard, and he's getting a sense, again, he's having a really hard time figuring this out, but he gets a sense that the leader is saying, we will not harm you, but you need to drink. You need to drink. You need to have energy for what we're about to do. And they bring him out this vile green concoction in a little cup, and he refuses it. And one of the aliens looks at him, and then he drinks it himself. And then holds it out to show this isn't toxic, this isn't poisonous, I'm willing to drink it. And Jose takes the concoction, smells it, it's disgusting. It's kind of what he expected, he drinks it, and he said the taste was not very good, but he immediately felt himself invigorated. And the drawings began to make more sense. When he looked at what the leader was drawing, it was very clear what he was intending to say. And what he was intending to say was a mission. They will take Jose back to Earth. 
So at that point, you figure he's on some sort of mothership. They didn't take him to a cave or an underground alien base. He, if not on their home world, he's, he is off planet at this point. I don't know if we've made that clear, but... Because he really doesn't know. He's just moved from one room to another. But they say, we will take you back to Earth. For three years, you will collect specimens for us and gather information. Then we will come back down. And you will come back to our planet for seven years. After seven years, we will bring you back to Earth. And one of three things is going to happen. Now, they didn't tell him, they didn't tell him, it wasn't sure it was an adventure. They didn't tell him one of three things was going to happen. But again, I read multiple articles about this. And depending on the article, they had a different version of events of what would happen. One of them was he would be brought back to Earth and he would be their guide. He would walk around Earth and show them all that he had known, all that he had learned, where the specimens came from. He would be like a tour guide. One of the articles I read said they would leave him here and he would be a spiritual leader on Earth. He would become a very powerful speaker. He would become a very powerful man and speak the religion of the aliens, guide the world towards what they wanted it. Or they just bring him back. And that's the end of it. The deal would be, you help us out, then you come back to our world for seven years, and then you're done. Ten years total, and then you do whatever you want. That sounds dope. Like, honestly, I would take up on that offer. So if I disappear for seven years, I'm probably floating around in space. But that that sounds reasonable. That sounds pretty reasonable. You know, you do three years here, and then you're floating around in space for seven years, and then maybe a spiritual leader. I mean, all three of those options are fine. Bringing them back to Earth as their guide and not as their the leader of their invasion force. You're not betraying humanity, right? Or or are you? We'll get to that in a second. I kind of gave it away in the intro, but we're building to that. He rejects all three. He rejects the offer, though. He doesn't want to do it, and they get super angry at him. And he can they're they're they can't really talk to him, but he senses their anger. And he immediately remembers the four bodies. He probably didn't forget the four bodies in there, but he starts to think of the four bodies. And he thinks he's in danger, and he has a crucifix around his neck, and he holds onto it and begins praying. And this comes into a lot of UFO stories. A lot of times people prey on UFOs, and the aliens just disappear. They're powerless in front of the power of Christ. We've covered that a lot of times on the show. Again, so many, I don't even think I can count them. It happens a lot in UFO lore. These aliens, this makes this makes them even madder. And the leader alien rips the crucifix off of Jose's neck and keeps it. Keeps the crucifix. He puts it in his pocket and is like, no. And as the leader's walking back to the whiteboard to write another message, this story is so weird. Like, if all that stuff was normal, Jose's standing there. He doesn't know what's going to happen next. A monk appears. A human appears in monk clothes, just teleports into the middle of the room and is staring at Jose and looking at him. And he gives him this sensation, this feeling that he is loved and he is protected. And none of the other aliens know this is going on. None of the other people in this room react to the fact that another human 
just teleported into the spaceship. We covered that on another episode, and I don't I don't even know what episode that would have been. You guys know the episodes better than I do at this point. But we covered that on another episode where a person was abducted and an angel showed up. But what was interesting was in that episode, the aliens reacted to the presence of an angel. They were like, what's he doing on the ship? How did he get on here? It set off a security crisis. In this one, this monk figure showed up, which it, it, it implies that it's religious, right? It's dressed in religious garb. It's a religious leader. The crucifix is ripped off. He shows up. So still a religion angle, but these aliens have no idea their security has just been breached. But because he's rejected this, these aliens actually decide, you know what, throw a blindfold on him, put the the helmet, put the uncomfortable helmet on him. We're going to throw him back on the ship. We're going to take him back to Earth. He is no good for us. We're going to drop him back off. And in typical alien jerk fashion, when Jose comes to a senses, he's like in the semi-conscious state, he stumbles out of the ship, and he wakes up, and he's in a forest, he just begins wandering through the forest, he's parched, he realizes that he has a beard, so he's been gone for a couple days, he finally finds a road, he finally finds a town, he finally talks to the populace, it turns out he's 200 miles away from where he was picked up. So as a classic UFO story, it has a lot of the hallmarks that we talk about, but it also has enough interesting stuff like the aliens not being telepathic. The drawing, the technology of drawing to communicate, that's very novel. I really like that idea. The religious figure teleporting onto the ship, we've only covered that twice out of, what, 740 episodes. That's incredibly rare in UFO lore. People praying while they're abducted by aliens, that's common, but the idea of a figure showing up. But I read this story and I thought... Let's put on our conspiracy caps and wrap it up like this. I thought this was my thinking. The four bodies were not killed by the aliens. And we see humans as brothers and sisters. They're part of our clan. They're part of our culture. Our species. But to something outside of that, we're nothing more than specimens. What if... Serial killers, as much as I think they're super lame, this would make them pretty cool. What if serial killers have been offered this deal? Aliens show up and say, listen, we're going to take you on a galactic adventure and all you have to do is bring up some specimens to us. You don't even have to bring them to us, you just have to prepare them and we will collect them. The specimens we're looking for are humans. And they observe these serial killers going about their work. It's a weird combination of true crime and sci-fi. But it would make sense. When a scientist needs to go out into the wilderness, sure, they can go out there with a bunch of guns and tag black bears and stuff like that. Imagine if they had to keep taking these black bears back to the lab. They couldn't study them in the wild. They could, Well, they couldn't do the studies they wanted to in the wild. So they had to bring them back. Now imagine that black bear also is smart enough and wily enough and has access to firearms and can outthink people. And sure, can get paralyzed and get their memory wiped. But every single interaction between an alien and a human has such a high level of violence. And that's why they do have to paralyze us. That's why they do have to use these beam weapons. Because the level of violence is so high. Humans are a very, very violent species. And aliens most likely are too. If they've 
mastered rocket technology to leave their planet. They've mastered rockets on their planet through warfare. But instead of aliens coming down and risk being caught and risk having their bodies left, or just even risk dying, they're not worried about the grand disclosure. They just don't want to get their head caved in with a Louisville slugger. They make allegiances with serial killers, with people who have no problem taking human lives and might have wanted to do it anyways. I mean, obviously, if you put any weight on this conspiracy theory, it'd probably fall apart. I don't think it's anything I can actually prove, but I, I do think that it is possible that an alien force would work. And actually, now that I think about it, when you have governments wanting to take down other governments or uh, seditious groups, they use people on the inside to do it. You use saboteurs, you use assassins, you use spies. So aliens would have to have that same thing in our human population. They, some of them may be generals. Some of them may be presidents, world leaders, who have bought into the alien agenda. But some of them could be just Bob working down the street, the barista, the nice guy who always gives you a little bit extra whipped cream on your frappuccino. And what would he get out of this deal with the aliens? It's not like he was getting power. Maybe he was getting protection. Maybe he was finally able to revel in his lust to take human life. And the aliens are watching this. They're studying this. They're seeing how humans hunt other humans. They're seeing what it takes to turn humans against each other. That could be the experiment. It would make sense that aliens would side with horrible parts of humanity. Because wars can be won without a single bullet or paralyzing space ray fired if you can get the population to turn on itself. If you can turn humans into hunters of humans, over time you can have the world so subjugated by fear, terror, and torment. You could be protecting serial killers or propping up terrorist regimes. Puppet governments all over the planet. Chaos and bloodshed. And whether it's a serial killer taking the lives of young co-eds or the President of the United States defunding the military and making us unable to withstand an impending intergalactic invasion. Both scenarios end the same. We were betrayed by our own kind. They made a deal with the aliens. And now, we are the ones who will pay the price. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be your email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. TikTok is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. Peace.